Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is a special edition of Busted Open on Sirius XM Fight Nation. From the Fiji Islands, Jimmy Superfly Sanuka. This is Busted Open's Rise and Fall of Jimmy Snuka Special. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. Welcome to a very special edition of Busted Open. Dave LaGreca and the innovator of violence, the landlord of the House of Hardcore, Tommy Dreamer. And today we're going to dive in to the career and life and ultimate end of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. We're calling it the rise and fall of an icon, of a legend, the Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Tommy, how are you, man? I'm doing okay. Uh, You know, this was something that I don't think me, you, or Bully Ray – had as many texts off air and conversations about uh, the whole dark side tales of the ring over Jimmy Snuka. And, you know, this is kind of how this whole show came about because we were, we were upset. Uh, You put out the greatest tweet out there. You said exactly what a lot of us were feeling. Um, You were afraid to watch this. And, you know, after watching it, we both had a, a mix of emotions and just kind of felt that, uh, you know, Jimmy needed his side told uh, in the best sense of from what the documentary and from personal accounts, because I felt it was the first time and I loved the show that it was very, very more one-sided. Yeah, and we're recording this just a few days after uh, Dark Side of the Ring premiered with the Jimmy Superfly Snuka and uh, the whole case with Jimmy and his girlfriend at the time Uh, Nancy Argentino and, you know, the death of Nancy Argentino and then all the, I guess, the rumors and innuendos and the myths, Tommy, of what happened that day back in 1983. And Dark Side of the Ring is a series, as everyone knows, it's in its second season right now. And I think they've done a wonderful job right here on Busted Open. We do a good job of recapping it because it's something that we like to talk about and that the fans like to hear. And Tommy, you're right the hours and the days leading up to that episode with Jimmy Superfly Snuka, I I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach because Jimmy Snuka was one of my favorite wrestlers back in the day, especially in 1983 and 1984, where a lot of fans, a lot of younger fans don't realize he was in 1983, he was the most popular wrestler in the WWF. And then in 1984, it was really neck and neck between him and Hulk Hogan and the feud with Don Morocco, the feud with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Those were some of the greatest feuds of all time. And there's always been this myth and this rumor about that he killed his girlfriend at the time back in 1983. But it was just that. And I think a lot of more things came out because of the book that he released back in 2014, a book that he promoted right here on Busted Open. We interviewed him. 
And I think a lot of the details that he said on our show and during his media tour for that book and in the book itself was different than some of the things that he said around the time of Nancy Argentino's passing in 1983. And that kind of got the ball rolling uh, for a small newspaper in Pennsylvania to reopen the case. And then after 30 years, that cold case was reopened. And I think a lot of finger pointing and a lot of facts have been, I think, confused over that three decade period, Tommy. Yeah. And then, you know, if I recap quickly, the, the dark side, the first one was about Chris uh, Benoit and Nancy. And after that, I had closure and I, I saw, cause I just said, Chris Benoit was a murderous, murderous son of a bitch that killed my friend, Nancy. And I didn't know what was going through his head. He doesn't get a pass, but I saw a guy who was, you know, they, they talked about concussions. They talk about this guy who was in a deep state of depression. The line that got me the most is when he was sleeping in Eddie's bed on his side, weeping. He never had a chance to mourn and all this stuff going on. And then, uh, the the one loophole was the whole Kevin Sullivan uh, being said that uh, there was a domestic issue. And then Kevin Sullivan went and said that uh, there was a domestic issue and Nancy had stabbed him and he bailed her out. And out of respect for her family, uh, he didn't say anything all these years. But now that he was getting called out about it and he was like, hey, there's a police record. Here it is. He was all up front with it. So th- those are where it's rumors and speculation. Uh, Sadly, I had an easier time describing a triple homicide than describing New Jack and my world because, but even like some of that, like I saw the the after dark, some of that, a lot of that was edited um, from what we were saying. And I was just, 99% of that was all true, but it was just a, a different era. And like, how do you explain New Jack but we all we all did, and, and now this, I, you know, I was I was scared like you to watch it because Jimmy was my friend, man. Jimmy helped me out when he did not need to. I had so many personal interactions with him, and then at the end, with that book, the author and Jimmy asked me to help them, like to remember stuff and like talk about stuff, and I did. And he was never, and I met him through conventions. I met him in in, in WWE. He never, ever showed anything to that. I hired his son. Uh, I was helpful to his daughter. And it was totally different. I was like, man, I don't want to hear something about someone that I loved, respected. And then we watched it and I was like, man, that sucks. But then the next day, other stuff came out. But, you know, when we'll get to that. But what I want to say, like, he was one of the biggest wrestling icons. The first time I remember seeing him was in Georgia Championship Wrestling, and he was different. He also had this wild, crazy man persona, which life um, doesn't always imitate, uh, art doesn't always imitate life. But for Jimmy and those guys in the 80s, they were all living it. I mean, you'd go to a gym. I even remember me and Taz, I would go to the gym in a singlet because I was Tommy Dreamer pro wrestler. And Jimmy Snuka, he's playing this wild man persona, uh, lit, being on the road all the time. And you, you hear his backstory of, you know, pretty much growing up poor and homeless, but, um, and, and making in the business. There was nobody like him, his body, his look, and that famous 
coming off the top rope, Superfly Splash. He was doing that in Georgia Championship Wrestling. If you go back, I saw him doing springboards with boots on, with no shoes on to the floor in all Japan. And this was before I even knew of like, there was a whole all Japan pro wrestling. And then I saw him through the wrestling magazines in mid Atlantic wrestling. And he was always bloody, had these insane looking eyes and his fuse with like, you know, Greg Valentine, Ric Flair. And then when he finally burst upon to the scene for WWE, he had this presence and persona you know, we, we did this one about, uh, we've done one about Ronda Rousey and Jimmy Snuka had that presence of, oh my God, Jimmy Snuka is finally in the WWF and he did not disappoint. And when he came in as a heel and if you, if you want to talk about his influence for that famous steel cage match, Mick Foley said, I had to drive all these hours from college to see this match. Bully Ray, myself, um, little Guido, we were all there as fans because we had to see um, Jimmy Snuka. We had to see him win the title that day. And we were all there part of history. But one moment spawned four really good wrestling careers. Two of those guys became Hall of Famers. And that's just people who were there, not including people who watched it at home. Yeah, and you mentioned about all the superstars that were, that were in the audience for that night against Don Morocco in the steel cage at Madison Square Garden. And you talked about his career in Mid-Atlantic, his career on Georgia Championship Wrestling. We're going to get into all that because I, I do feel, you know, us as fans, we do want to dive in to those eras that really built the Hall of Famer. I mean, Jimmy Superfly Stuka is in the WWE Hall of Fame, and you mentioned Tamina. And unfortunately, because of a lot of the circumstances surrounding Jimmy Snuka, they don't refer to her as Jimmy Snuka's daughter. It's Tamina, though, you know, you always hear when it comes to Charlotte Flair that she's Ric Flair's daughter, Hall of Famer Ric Flair. You don't hear that with Tamina. And we're going to get into a lot of the reasons why. And we're going to dive into what we saw on Dark Side of the Ring as well, because unfortunately, that's always going to be attached to Jimmy Superfly Snuka's career. And, you know... We're, we're going to state the facts, but at the same time, you know, let's say the truth, Tommy. And, you know, I know for it was uh, kind of um, something that was common with a lot of wrestlers of that era. You know, Jimmy Superfly Snooker was no saint, and we're not going to present him as a saint on this show. Obviously, he had issues with drugs. You know, obviously, from watching that documentary, you know, there was, you know, definitely some domestic abuse as well. Uh, that was talked about that is hard to like fight against but you know classifying him as a murderer you know 30 you know 35 plus years ago he wasn't convicted of that and when it was brought back up those charges were dismissed at that time as well so there's a lot to get into when it comes to the career and the life of Jimmy Superfly Snuka and again I think why this is such a, a um, interesting show for you and I, Tommy, and you're definitely the person I wanted to do this show with because when we talk about the past, you are not just a legendary wrestler, but you are a historian as well. You can come up with times and dates and matches and companies probably quicker than anybody I know can. And also, you are one of those people to have dealt with all these wrestlers as well. Like you just said, you know, you did have a relationship with Jimmy Snuka. My relationship was as a fan and then later on as somebody who was a talk show host i had 
you know, three opportunities to interview Jimmy Superfly Snuka. And he was somebody that, to me, is a Hall of Famer, is an icon. There is so much to get into when it comes into the career and the life and the ultimate fall of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. And we'll do all that when Tommy and I are back on a special edition of Busted Open. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barak Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Pro wrestling all the time. This is Busted Open's Rise and Fall of Jimmy Snuka special on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Back here on Busted Open, Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer on a very special edition of Busted Open, the Rise and Fall of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. And, you know, when it comes to Jimmy Snuka's career, because I do want to concentrate on his Hall of Fame career, Tommy, um, when was the first time you were exposed to Jimmy Superfly Snuka? Like I said, early, I'm sorry, late 70s, early 80s from Georgia Championship Wrestling, then the magazines, because, uh, you know, territories. I didn't get Mid-Atlantic Wrestling living uh, on the, in New York. And then once he came to the WWE, man, I knew this guy was something. You know, again, you look at his body, there was nobody who had a body like that back then. Very few guys, but, I mean, he was – his body was like a temple. And I remember when he first came in managed by captain Lou Albano and he was this savage beast and he was this wild man, this untainable guy. And he had his feud with Bob Backlund. And, you know, that was the first time we saw the dive off the top where he missed. And it was just like, this guy had something. And then uh, when they started doing the worst interview segment ever, Rogers Corner, but then they put Buddy Rogers, uh, as the documentary talked about, with Jimmy, and then it was a slow, slow turn with him and Ray Stevens, and I remember the big dive over the top, uh, he just, what we, is so commonplace now, just a regular well, planches when you grab the rope, he just dove, I can't even call it a suicide dive, because there's a person that Flying, running, flying cross body over the top rope. And then he got pile driven on the floor. And I remember the pictures in the magazines of him wearing a neck brace, bleeding, holding his head, selling was what made him that next level baby face. You're able to get sympathy on this savage. And uh, his career really started to take off from there. Yeah, and you mentioned about his NWA career, and he was a heel in the NWA. And he, he won minor championships, some tag team championships, the U.S. championships. He was never a world champion. I mean, throughout his entire career, Tommy, he was never a world champion. But you mentioned that feud with Bob Backlund, and that's where I come into the scene as a fan because everybody talks about the steel cage match with Don Morocco in 1983 you got to go back to the summer of 1982 and the cage match that he had with Bob Backlund and I think it was really that match Tommy that turned Jimmy Snuka 
because Bob Backlund was the uber babyface champion. But, you know, when Jimmy Snuka was on top of that cage and, like you said, he jumped off and Backlund rolled and, and Snuka missed and he was able to get out of the cage. I think once that match took place, people really started to gravitate towards Jimmy Superfly Snuka because just the look, his athleticism, you know, he was doing things in the ring that you just never saw. So I think that's when he started to become a fan favorite, even though he was still a heel and the WWF is smart. Like you said, the, the Buddy Rogers corner, like one of the worst interview segments of all time, like where he was telling uh, Jimmy Snuka that Captain Lou, who was Jimmy Snuka's manager, that he was cheating him financially. And then, you know, everything that you were talking about with uh, Ray Stevens occurred. And it led to that match in 83 with Don Morocco where everybody thought he was going to become the new intercontinental champion. And he never got that title either. You know, what did you think of the fact that you're here, you have over the course of almost two years, your most popular wrestler yet. He never won not only a world championship, but he never held on to that intercontinental championship either. Well, you know, you're going to have two people with the train of thought, Oh, they didn't trust him. And the other people who were in the business and you saw it with Greg Valentine, Brian Nobbs, you'll always hear from Bully Ray, and I'll say it for myself. There are certain guys who don't need championships. They don't need titles. Um, back then, did it ever? Did you, as a young wrestling fan, ever think that Jimmy Snuka was not a badass babyface because he didn't win the title? You were disappointed, but we, we didn't really care. And he was that over that he didn't need a title. Some guys did. Some guys needed that title to you know, present them as bigger as they were. If, if you think about that time period, Bob Backlund was rarely the main event. He was always the guy before intermission. Yeah. So the microphone would come down and my good friend Howard Finkel would announce the next matches for the next month at Madison Square Garden. So people would run and get the tickets at intermission. But uh, Jimmy didn't need a title. Uh, and, and if you look at somebody who had charisma and again, his body and moves, a move set that, I mean, I, when you're talking, I remember him going, you know, body slamming a guy, going in the corner, coming out and doing the flying headbutt or the flying knee or the, the leapfrog and then the backwards leapfrog where he wasn't looking. He's the first to do this. And then the vicious chop and then his posing. It was something that we never saw before. And because he was so different, because he looked so different, of course, you're going to gravitate to talent because no matter what wrestling fans will always gravitate towards talent yeah and you know like you said just somebody that you know now it's become second nature tommy like you were talking about that dive over the top rope onto the concrete floor you just you never saw that before you know even even like the top you know the jump off the top rope the super fly leap you you only saw that from jimmy you know you didn't see people like now you see it in a match now, and it's not even a finisher, you know, jump com, coming off the top rope is just part of the maneuver in a match. Like then that was, that was it. You paid money to go to the arena to watch Jimmy Snuka jump off the top rope. Dave, there was certain companies that you weren't allowed to jump off the top rope because it was too dangerous. I, I remember when uh, Cowboy Bob Orton did the superplex from the top rope. He wasn't even standing on the top rope and everyone was like, this is the most dangerous move in, in professional wrestling because going off the top rope 
had this persona, and it really does because trust me, when anyone jumps on you and from the top rope, even Jimmy Snooker, because I've taken it, you feel it. And I love people like, oh, well, he's protecting himself how to fall. No, he's landing on you. You're protecting yourself how to take it. And trust me, it knocks the living hell out of you. You can't, it knocks your wind out of you. If you go back and you watch at any time, the best one ever was the one he did on, Jim, on Captain Lou Albano, where it looks like Captain Lou Albano is doing a sit-up. You know why? Because that protects you from literally breaking every rib or every bone that you have. I've been hit so hard that I felt like my, my ribs moved and I couldn't catch my breath. And I was like, I think I just broke my ribs. I was like, uh, uh, okay, it's back. But it's because if you lay prone and if you, if you go back and watch squash matches of Jimmy, he would take that a lot of times at first on his knees to protect the other guy. But for other guys, if you look at Don Morocco, when you're a pro's pro, they took it every night. And like, even like Valentine, man, that was stiff. But because it is, that's, that's physics, that's science. That's a man jumping from a, a certain distance, leaping, and then landing on you. That's science. And, you know, you mentioned about not holding a championship. You know, Jimmy Snooker was rarely in the main event. You know, that match that's still talked about today, that cage match at Madison Square Garden, you know, against Don Morocco, that wasn't even the main event. You know, that night that you and Bully and, and uh, Little Guido and, and Mick Foley were at, that, that wasn't even the main event that night. That night, the main event was Bob Backlund defending the WWF championship against the mass superstar. But how many people remember that match? It's the match with Jimmy Snuka that everybody remembers. And it's, it's iconic images. And, and, and for me, you know, I've said this story many times to you, and I'm busted open, Tommy, that I was strictly an NWA guy. But it was that picture in The Wrestler of Jimmy Snuka on top of the cage, bloodied with the long hair and the blood dripping down against Bob Backlund. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I, I got to start watching this too. And that's when I started watching the WWF because it's athletes like Jimmy Snuka that the fans gravitated towards. And it didn't matter who he was going up against. He was going to have the love and the passion that you could only get from true Hall of Famers like Superfly Snuka. Dave, you just said something to me that is so profound. Um, I was there and if you were to ask me that night, if that was the main event, I would probably fight you and say it was the main event. And that is a big thing to why we're talking and doing this for the industry, because I was there and I thought that was the main event until you're proving me wrong. And it's someone who was there as opposed to, to fact. And I'm seriously going to go look this up as soon as this is over. And I know you're not lying to me, but if you were to tell me this, you're telling us, and it's like the first time I'm hearing it, and yet I was there. And that has a big certain to do with the whole Tonga kid thing. And I'm totally blown away with that because I'm like, wow, it wasn't. And it was one of the most greatest nights of my life. It helped so many different people. And it's just like, wow, 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 wow. And by the way, the match between Bob Backlund and the Mass Superstar wasn't just like some throwaway match. That's the match where a mass superstar gave the neck breaker to Bob Backlund outside the ring. So it's not like that was some kind of looked over match. Like that was a pretty significant match for its time. And it was for the WWF championship. Yeah. And, 
and 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 one of the rare times where Bob Backlund didn't come out, you know, pinning his opponent. So for that match to be for you, Tommy, that was like one of the most memorable nights for you. And coming out of it, not only did your owner remember that match, but you couldn't even remember the match between Bob Backlund and Matt Superstar. That tells you how significant that match with Morocco was and how significant that moment off the top of the cage was for the history of pro wrestling. I literally want to text Bubba and Mick Foley and Guido as well, just because I'm, I'm blown away by this. And it must be your new Phil Donahue hair is why you're such an investigative reporter right now. But wow, you just blew me away. And well, you know what? Because I had a point that I want to get to you next segment. And now you just trumped mine. I, I got to tell you, Tommy, I could be wrong. When we go to break, I'll double check because I'm, I'm going straight. By the way, Tommy, this isn't like I'm bringing up the card on Google. Like I'm going strictly from my memory because I watched that on the Madison Square Garden cable network. So I'm going strictly by my memory because I remember even at the time thinking to myself as I'm watching it in 1983, I'm saying to myself, like, this match is so much better than what the main event is going to be with that, you know, pasty-faced Bob Backlund going up against the mass Superstar. Because I remember cheering for the mass Superstar that night. In but I, I also remember, like, they would go to intermission building the cage, and then anticipation was amazing. And then after the match, they would talk about it, do post-match interviews while they were breaking down the cage. And they showed you. And to me, that was like the inner workings of the WWE. And I was just loving it. Because I watch, I remember, I used to VCR everything. Because after that night, I went home and probably watched it. And the other thing too, is I couldn't stand Bob Backlund. So there you go. Yeah, we don't want to get into it. Yeah, that's another show. We're, we're going to get into Bob Backlund. That's another special that we're going to do. Now, we mentioned that leap off the top of the cage. But that's probably not even his most lasting wrestling memory, believe it or not. I'll tell you exactly what that is when Tommy and I are back on a very special edition of Busted Open. Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport. And Sirius XMFC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you. Can you believe it? In each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds. Anfield has arrived. Bitter rivalries, and so much more. There's nothing like a Derby Day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching more than a game. Looking back on the complicated legacy of Jimmy Superfly Snuka, this is Busted Open's Rise and Fall of Jimmy Snuka Special with Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. Back here on Busted Open, Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer, a very special edition of Busted Open as we're talking about the life and career of Jimmy Superfly Snuka, the good and ultimately the bad. And we're talking about that iconic night, October 17th, 1983, where Little Guido, Tommy Dreamer, Mick Foley, and Bully Ray are all in attendance to see that iconic moment when Jimmy Superfly Slicka jumped off the top of the cage onto Don Morocco, something that's embedded in every pro wrestling fan's memory. Now, I said that the main event that night was not Don Morocco and Jimmy Superfly Slicka, which I was correct. I also said that the main event that night was... Bob Backlund, your WWF champion, going up against the Mass Superstar, a match where Bob Backlund did not win because it was a count out because Mass Superstar gave the neck breaker to Bob Backlund outside the ring. As it turns out, that wasn't the main event, Tommy. 
Hang on. However, as a tribute to my friend, Howard Finkel, the main event was? Andre the Giant, the eighth wonder of the world, going up against Afa, the wild (laughs) Samoan. Oh, my God. What, and probably, I don't even remember that match. My father made, my father would probably make me drive home early, and I probably was crying. But, uh, wow, I'm going to hit all those guys up and ask them if they remember that, because I don't. Yeah. That's amazing. That's why we pay Marissa the big bucks here, because she went out and she researched it the way she does. That's, she's earned her keep this week. Mother Marissa's always got our back. One thing I did mention before we went to break, and obviously one of the most iconic images is Jimmy Superfly Snooker on top of the cage against Bob Backlund at Madison Square Garden in 1982. Jimmy Superfly Snooker on top of the cage against Don Morocco in 1983. Uh, what do both those matches have in common? Jimmy Superfly Snooker lost both those matches, though a lot of people remember it the other way around. Uh, but probably one of the most iconic segments in Jimmy Superfly Snooker's career had nothing to do with Bob Backlund or Don Morocco, but Rowdy Roddy Piper, the infamous Piper's Pit, with Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Absolutely. You know, I was happy they, they breached upon it uh, on the episode with the famous coconut and the Hamburg field house, which, I, dude, I remember when I, as a wrestler, I always wanted to uh, have, I would always set goals. I still do. But when I first wrestled in the Hamburg field house, I remember, because again, it was something that you've never seen before when the set collapsed and Roddy ran into the, the dressing room years watching that stuff and like always like hearing private dressing rooms and Jimmy banging on that door. And I believe it was Chief J Strongbow and maybe Gorilla Monsoon came to break away. It was just, and him getting whipped and being on his knees and that epic crawl was just why, you know, made him, there are moments, there's moments in Tommy Dreamer's career, Bully Ray, uh, Mark Henry, that make you this defining character. And those are moments that were just next level and his explosion and his rage in his eyes. And I keep saying this purposely, um, which is what made Jimmy, Jimmy and why you wanted to see him kick everybody's ass. Now, Mother Marissa might prove me wrong on this one as well. But if I remember correctly, and I have to go back and watch it, and we'll do that during the next break, Tommy, I believe... You know, and you're right, he had the bananas and then he had the coconuts. He hit Jimmy Superfly stuck in the head with the coconut. The Piper's pit set went down and then he was whipping him with his belt. And then Roddy Piper even blew snot on him and then, you know, escaped through the back door. I believe the three people that were holding Jimmy Superfly Snooker back was, you're right, Chief J Strongbow in a suit, I believe, Tito Santana and B. Brian Blair. Now, Mother Marissa might prove me wrong, but I believe the three people that held Jimmy Snooker back were Chief J. Strongbow, Tito Santana, and B. Brian Blair. If anyone wants to fully comprehend the straight-up marks and fanboys between these two individuals, you're hearing it and seeing it live because this is what we'll be debating about. And the moment this ends, we'll both be going back and trying to find this. Oh, we have problems pro-wrestling. 
Why do you do this to my brain? Our, our knowledge, as you say, it's full. We don't need to know anything else. And now we're going to put something else in our, in our minds. Yeah, because but my brain is like a glass of water. So once it overflows, there's simple things like tying my shoes I won't be able to do anymore, Tommy. But, but this is also, I bring this up because that was a feud that was red hot and ended very, very quickly. I mean, that feud, believe it or not, was very similar to some of the feuds you see now where it lasts just a few months up until a pay-per-view and then they move on. They moved off of that feud very quickly. And the reason I bring this up is that happened in 1984. And we'll get back into Dark Side of the Ring and the, the death of, of Nancy Argentino and Jimmy Superfly Slifka's involvement because that happened in 1983, just before that match with Don Morocco at Madison Square Garden. So a lot of people thought that that incident, you know, ended the run of Jimmy Snuka. And it was right after that feud with Don Morocco that his run ended. And that's just not true. That just built his popularity more because then you did have the Piper's Pit and you had the feud. And that was in the summer of 1980, of 1984. So, you know, many months after that feud with Don Morocco, but it did end abruptly. And it seems like, once that feud was over, you started to see the, de the decline of Jimmy Snuka's WWF career. Yeah, and that was a lot attributed to his behind-the-scene activities with which he admitted, you know, he was, it was the 80s and he was indulging in the lifestyle. And even on the documentary, they talk about, you know, they're going out every night, they're living that lifestyle. I remember they brought in the Tonga Kid kind of as a replacement and Jimmy was like here and there until he left and didn't return. Uh, I mean, he was there for WrestleMania as well, and uh, but he wasn't in that main event spot. Someone had corrected me and uh, said the match was supposed to be originally Hogan and Snuka together with Mr. T in the corner, and then it got switched. Uh, don't know why. Those are decisions that are made. Um, that would have to be if we had Vince McMahon on this. But uh, you and I also were were there uh, in the Meadowlands, one of the few times that I, I would go to the Meadowlands where, and, and I know The Undertaker told me this story. He's like, you never heard about Not Today, brother? And Jimmy was supposed to be in the main event with Roddy Piper, and he was doing drugs, got all paranoid. The limo driver pulled up and he saw all the people and he was like, not today, brother, and drove home. And they replaced him that night. I was there as a kid, you were there with uh, a horrible replacement. You remember who that was? Who was that? Uh, I believe it was Salvatore Balomo. Oh, oh yeah. That was yeah, that was December of yeah, December of 1984. You know, yep. Salvatore Balomo was the replacement for Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Uh, yeah, we both were there. I actually gave you the program from that from yep. that night as well as a gift. Uh, but you know, you know, other matches like I, I was able to see at the Meadowlands Superfly Snuka against you know Roddy Piper again, not the main event, but the match that everybody talks about. You can even find that match on YouTube, July fifteenth, nineteen eighty four, and you know the ovation that Jimmy Superfly Snuka got, and we did the watch along like you mentioned before, uh, uh, that you can see on you know you know in, on Sirius XM app and our podcasts you know, our video of us doing the watch along of that first WrestleMania main event. And that was in March of 1985. By July of 1985, Jimmy Snuka was gone from the, 
from the WWF. So think about that. You know, he's involved in the main event of the first ever WrestleMania. And, you know, less than four months later, he's gone from the company completely. Yeah. And uh, I, he didn't return until what? It was that WrestleMania, correct? Where he wrestled the... Uh... Yeah, it was, what, 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 you know, back, you know, you'd have to go to, yeah, to the, what is it, 1989, 88, 89, when he came back to the WWF? on. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it was a lot of speculation, a lot of uh, unreliability, which, again, he said in his own book of, you know, mistakes he made in the past of, for his career. And I think this is kind of like leads us to the path of the documentary of where they said everything went wrong and happened. The t- timeline isn't as correct, but us breaking it down, you know, when all this went down, when, if you think about it, what's going through his head during this time, where we're just fans where he just lost his girl or whatever she was to him. Uh, Whatever's going on, it's also going on in his career. It's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody ever knew that actually ever went down, which, you know, you're dealing with a lot of crap. Yeah, and, like, after his run in the WWF, he was in the AWA, and, you know, there's that story from Greg Gagne saying about, you know, the drug use before his match, that tag match at Wrestle Rock 86, and then soon after that, he was gone from the AWA, and, you know, he, he you mentioned the, the stint in all Japan, and then until his return, you know, and when he returned to the WWF in 1989 for, you know, for about four, you know, three and a half, four years, he was pretty much enhancement talent. He was no, not even near the lengths of where they had him on the card, you know, back in 1982 and 1983. And then it was on the indie scene. Um, when we come back, though, Tommy, because there is a lot to get into with Jimmy Superfly Snuka from that date in 1983 with you know, the, the passing of Nancy Argentino until a 30-year cold case, you know, you know, that was reopened. A lot of it because of his book and some of the interviews, one being busted open during the media tour for that book. But we'll get into, you know, what happened even once his career was over and then what we saw on the Dark Side of the Ring documentary. Tommy and I will do that when we're back on a very special edition of Busted Open. You're listening to Busted Open's Rise and Fall of Jimmy Snuka Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Channel 156. Talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling. Friend of the show, Cody Rhodes. I particularly told people living in fear is no way to live. And honestly, I just wanted the platform to say that we're all in this together and that we're going to get through this. And please enjoy the two hours of hopefully escape and distraction uh, we have for you tonight. I, this is a very unique time for a wrestler. Busted Open, Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation. From the Fiji Island, Jimmy Superfly Sanuka. This is Busted Open's Rise and Fall of Jimmy Snuka Special. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Busted Open, a very special edition of Busted Open as Tommy and I are talking about the life and career of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. It's the rise and fall of the Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Tommy. And, you know, we did, I think, a really good job of talking about some of those iconic moments in Jimmy Superfly Snuka's career, especially 
in the WWF, a guy that never won a world title, but for somebody that was so over and so popular as Jimmy Snuka, he never needed a title. And just some of those iconic images, matches, and that Piper's pit with Rowdy Roddy Piper with the coconut, and and then a feud that was cut short. And then, you know, just a few months after that first WrestleMania, uh, you know, where he was involved in the main event, he was gone from the WWF, and his career was never, ever the same. Even when he came back to the WWF in the late 80s and early 90s. And Tommy, unfortunately... Uh, his career is always going to be linked to that incident that happened in 1983 and the death of Nancy Argentino, something that was documented in season two of Dark Side of the Ring. And though, you know, there were no criminal charges on Jimmy Superfly Snuka back in 1983, and then a 30-year cold case that was reopened, a lot of it because of an article in a small local newspaper. And then also, Tommy, most of the fault of Jimmy Snuka because he talked about it in his book and the details, you know, kind of did not match up with the things that he had said 30 years earlier and it came back to bite him. But as he said to his wife and it was talked about in the documentary, Tommy, it was something that he wanted to talk about in his book. So it really opens up a lot of questions about why he put that in his book. If, you know, if he, if, you know, if something was something he wasn't confident about, you know, would he put it in his autobiography? But he did just that in 2014. And what he says to his wife in the privacy of their own home, and she goes out there and says it in the sense of like, I can deal with kind of the man in the mirror. Cause I know what really, really happened. Um, the the horrible part about this is there's a woman whose life is lost and her family, her two sisters, they kind of want answers. If you also watch the documentary, they were also pissed when they said uh, in the book that she just was kind of like some kind of like a, a fling or a groupie. Um, and I could see that because it's the memory of their sister. And, and obviously, yeah, there there's some domestic uh, abuse issues. There's drug issues. Um, and it's sad. Uh, and this whole thing opened up a whole can of worms and nothing else was resolved. And I hate that. And this is my, when I watch this and when they're, they're asking the police officer, the, the big, it's like the big build for the Tonga kid where he's basically said, they asked him, he was like, I was in the car that day. And no, that did not happen. And then they go to the police officer and the police officer. And they're like, he's like, I didn't know that we investigated. They're basically calling this guy out on the job that he did. And he did the job to the best of his ability. And now they're trying to bring it up uh, 30 years later. And they're, it's making him look like he's bad at his job from something that happened so, so long ago. And, and you know, Dave, we were talking about that match in uh, Madison Square Garden that night. Do you remember, because you're a hockey fan, and I'm sure if you asked your brother this, do you remember the Miracle on Ice? Of course, 1980. Do you remember when the U.S. Olympic goal, it, 36 million people watched that, uh, them win it. They won the gold that night when they defeated the Russians, correct? No, they did not win the gold that night. All right. Well, you see, you're one of those people that they had to play Finland after that. Yes. But what I'm trying to say is most people remember that as them winning the gold that night. But you're a crazy person because I watched the documentary. And when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, this is a great memory. And I was like, oh, wait, they had to go to another round. Um, and, and when the Tonga kid basically said he was in the car, right then and there, I said, oh, my God, I think Jimmy did it. 
And then the next day, Dave Meltzer put out a tweet and he said the Tonga kid wasn't there. He wasn't at TV. And in my head, do I believe the Tonga kid is lying? No. But I believe the Tonga kid believes he was there. And then I just was like, wow, this is so unfair. Because uh, again, man, and when I talk about his eyes, I did a promo that you could, you could find on YouTube or, or the WWE Network where Jimmy, and he thinks I'm disrespecting him and I'm going to wrestle him. And it was this long, long promo. And I remember like he's looking into my eyes and then he just started getting angry in his promo. And then at one point he comes up to me and I'm looking at his eyes and I've been in real fights and I thought this man was going to fight me. And like, I'm like, oh my God, I think this man's going to kill me. And this is on television. And then he like, he did something like, ah. and like, I flinched because I had to step back because I did not know whether Jimmy was going to punch a young Tommy Dreamer in the face. And then when it, the Paul was like, cut, and the room was quiet. And Jimmy was like, thank you, brother. And I was like, oh my God, like that was, that was the realest thing I've ever been in. And so I, like when I say that was his intensity, that was the wild man. And also, like, when you listen to Nobbs, who I just love, when he's talking about, like, you know, I love all the Samoans. The Samoans are great. The Samoans are Samoans. Jimmy was from Fiji. And it's just all these little things. Or, like, Greg Valentine talking about, oh, Vince McMahon covered up uh, when he got arrested for hash. And they, like, go to a commercial break, and then they come back with it. And you're like, oh, my God, he's a drug smuggler. But then it's like, Greg's like, ah, hash is even, was legal back then. You know, it's just all these different things because – it's a television show. And I, I feel sorry for the, for the sisters. I didn't know my trainer, Johnny Rods, was the one who hooked him up. Uh, and, and like Matt Stryker hits me up and he's like, wow, I didn't like, did you see that picture of Johnny? I didn't know he knew any of this. And like, it's just all this snowball of emotions and nothing has been settled. And it sucks. And that's why I like doing this. And, and I, I feel horrible for their family her family, and at least like with the, the Benoit case, we had a family somewhat get united. Uh, there is no, there is nothing. Yeah, he should have paid that half a million dollars. That, that was the only settlement that was ever for neglect. But if you think about it back then, whatever happened, if she fell the way she said, you know, the way he said she fell, which was his story, um, and she went to bed, back then, you're talking to a person who like, we just started finding out about concussions. It was like, oh, you're supposed to stay awake for 24 hours. And then, you know, if she had a, a brain bleed, I didn't know if like there was an autopsy done. Were there drugs in her system? There, there's so much that you can further investigate. But just like this show has a time limit, a television show has a time yeah. limit. And, and it just, it's not going to tarnish my memory of Jimmy because I have to go by how he treated me and how he treated the fans, and how he was for insp inspiring a lot of us. And that's how I could only go on. I'm not condoning, because I also don't know. Uh, if I knew for anything, I would just be like, wow. Just like Joey Styles called me up, or I haven't heard from, you know, and he was just like, I can't believe Kevin Sullivan hit Nancy, blah, blah, blah. blah. He wanted to fight him. And then all of a sudden, I, had, I called him up. I said, hey, by the way, and he was like, oh, my God. Like he was willing to fight somebody over something he heard because it has such a personal connection with all of us. And uh, 
you know, from having his action figures or watching the cartoons and all that stuff and having to deal with him on a, on a almost, I would see him almost every week when the, with the whole book thing and dealing with him, you know, through WWE, I wish it ended up differently for him, for his career, because he should be highlighted the way he was, because it's a lot of speculation and he was never arrested, even when they reopened up the case. Yeah, it was dismissed. Now, a lot of that was because of his health, but still, like, you know, when they showed the autopsy on Dark Side of the Ring, they mentioned that this case should be looked into. And the district attorney said, you know, it was the chief of police of the Whitehall Township. He said, well, we did investigate it. So they did have an investigation after seeing that autopsy. And when they talk about this meeting and like, oh, they're, you know, they were talking about, oh, there was bribes, there was all this stuff. Then you're fishing and trying to blame Vince for this stuff, which I, you know, Vince McMahon is a target a lot. And then the guy was just like, obviously there was just nothing happened that was sub- substantial during that. And Vince so McMahon it, made a statement after that too, saying that two of the people that were in that room turned out to be judges. Like, are they going to put their, you know, their reputation on the line for somebody like that. It's, there's a lot of questions and, and, you know, we're never going to have the answers. Like you said, with, with the Benoit episode, there was closure. Obviously after this episode, there was no closure. And the one thing, you know, to, to Nancy Argentina, you know, who did lose her life, you know, obviously we feel for her, we feel for her family, seeing her sisters on that show. It's heartbreaking. There's no doubt about it, but you know, we wanted to, to give a little bit more of a balanced take on our show today you know, not accusing right or wrong, but just talking about, you know, two guys that watched him in, a, in you know, in arenas full of 20,000 people watching what he did best as a professional wrestler inside the ring. And, and I hope we were able to do that today, Tommy. Uh, I do. And um, one day, I, I just hope everyone has uh, peace in their heart for what happened on an unfortunate night that uh, should never have happened and we'll never get the answers and that sucks. But uh, I could only go by how he treated me and how he treated a lot of wrestlers and he was nothing but a gentleman. And that's how I have to remember him because of how he treated me. You know, I hope everybody goes back and watches some of those old matches. It was a pleasure putting this together with my good friend, Tommy Dreamer. We'll be back as you can hear us Monday through Saturday on Sirius XM Fight Nation. This is Busted Open. This has been Busted Open's Rise and Fall of Jimmy Snuka special. Check Sirius XM On Demand for more Sirius XM Fight Nation content. And follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.